Have you ever heard of the word Gesundheit? <laughs> ever heard of that word? It's a German word. You probably heard it right after somebody sneezed. Do you know what the word means? Health. It means health. Translated literally, it means health. But when you use it after someone at you, it means bless you. That's the kind of idea. Now, I, I realize you haven't heard that word in a long time because sneezing has been canceled in public. And I don't know if there's a German word for arrest that person and remove them from the premises. It, I mean, they have German words like that, so I'm sure there probably is. But, you know, Christians eventually commandeered that term, that idea, and turned bless you into God bless you. Someone sneezes, God bless you. And, you know, we use the word bless a lot in our culture, don't we? Even this morning, we asked the Lord to bless our mothers. We asked God to bless them. Most of the time, we think of blessings as good fortune, but what does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean to be blessed? How do you know when you're blessed? Maybe if you have a good job, you're blessed. If you live in a great country, you're blessed. If you have a big family, you're blessed. If you're married to a good spouse, you're blessed. What does it mean to be blessed? Maybe it's really just a reflection of what we think makes us ultimately happy. We consider those blessed who we think are, have the kind of happiness that we would want to have. And every person in the world has a definition of happiness. I mean, every person in this room, every person in history, you can go to any culture at any time, and they have somewhat of a picture, an idea of what a blessed life or a happy life is. So let me ask you, what would it take to make you happy? What would it take to make you happy this morning? Would some of you say, oh, if I just made this much money, I would be happy. And I know some of you are like, dude, you're starting way too high. Like for some of you, like if I just had coffee, I'd be happy. <laughs> but I mean, think about it. What, what would it take to make you happy? Maybe, man, if I could just have this talent, I would be happy. Or if I was married to this kind of person, I would be happy. Or if I could just have this possession, I would be happy. What would it take to make you happy? Blessings and happiness are really in the eye of the beholder. But what does the Bible say about happiness and blessedness? How does the Bible define the term blessed? Jesus uses the word blessed at the start of the Sermon on the Mount. And we have this little picturesque uh, mountain scene back here. We're going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount. We started last week. And in the beginning of his sermon, he uses the word blessed, and he, repeat, he repeats the word eight times. He repeats one word eight times. That's definitely a mega emphasis. He repeats it eight times, and he does that to answer one major question. Are you listening? What's the one question? What does God consider blessed? What kind of life would God say, now that person's blessed? Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. We'll start in the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount. Jesus taught, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus repeats the term blessed eight times, telling the people this is what God truly considers blessed. And we call this part of the Sermon on the Mount the Beatitudes. That word beatitude, does anybody know what it means? The word beatitude, it means blessed. Beatitude is a Middle English word that we've used. It came over from French. French and Latin turned into beatitudos. But it comes from the root Latin word that's beatus. It just means blessed. So we call this part of the Sermon on the Mount the blessed part of the sermon. This is where Jesus continues to repeat blessed. And the Catholics actually built a church on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee where traditionally it's thought that Jesus preached this sermon. It's called the Church of the Beatitudes. Courtney and I got to go there uh, on our trip to Israel. It's a beautiful building. It's uh, surrounded by picturesque landscaping. It's so pretty. You go there and you feel like you're going to an outdoor museum. And the inside has an upper chamber in the shape of an octagon. I don't know if you can see that. The picture on the left, it looks like a tower. It's got eight sides, and all eight of those sides represent one of the eight blessings that's used in the Beatitudes. And inside the building, you can barely you know, see, but they have inscriptions of each Beatitude on the upper part of those eight sides of the tower, the, the eight blessings that Jesus gave. Now, I do want to tell you there's another place not far from that church just down the hill that something marks the spot where Jesus gave the sermon. There you'll find this large rock with an inscription of the Beatitudes on it, and it looks like it's been there forever. Uh, you know, like if you've ever found a Cheeto underneath your couch that you haven't vacuumed in a couple weeks, just think that, but way longer. This is way longer. And there's this inscription carved on there, and it's the Beatitudes. And so some people think, Uh, that Jesus preached the sermon there. But either way, everybody agrees that Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount somewhere in this part of the region because this hillside, this he went up on the mount, this, this mountainside, this hillside is like a natural amphitheater where Jesus's voice would carry and he could preach to thousands of people at one time. No microphone, no megaphone, no speaker system and he could speak and the people would be able to hear him. And so that's how he preached to thousands of people at one time. And he did it right on the hillside. And so he begins his sermon with these eight blessings. And as you read them, you will notice three characteristics of all eight Beatitudes. You'll notice these three characteristics as you read them. Number one, they're paradoxical. Now that's a weird word. It just means on the surface they seem to contradict each other. It almost seems absurd. They don't seem to match each one connects two opposing ideas that when, you, when they collide together and you put them together, it's puzzling and they seem inconsistent. Uh, you would say they seem like contradictions. That means it's a paradox. And so each blessing is a paradox. Like, uh, blessed are those who mourn. That literally means happy are those who are sad. You know, it's paradoxical. It doesn't make sense. What's so enviable about being sad? So they're paradoxical. Number two the blessings are proverbial. So each blessing, each beatitude is like a short, pithy statement that's full of wisdom and truth. So each beatitude can stand on its own as a proverb. And number three, the blessings are progressive. 
And this is really where you learn the most from them. They have an order to them. I want you to think of it like a fruit tree. You have, in a fruit tree, you have the root system, the trunk with the branches, and then you have the blooms, the fruit, the leaves, all that. And so the Beatitudes are somewhat like a progression that goes upward. The first three, which are actually on the bottom of this picture, the, the root system, the first three are the root of the blessed life because they reflect a person who is humble and ready to receive God. And that's where you start. That's the foundation of being blessed, of coming before God. Until you bow in repentance, you will never stand before God. You must come to Him humbly. That's, that's what God says. You have to come with Him humbly. The fourth beatitude is hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's kind of like the trunk and the branches. When you are lowly and humble at the beginning of your foundation, the trunk is what feeds the rest of the tree and the blooms and the fruit. And it's that hunger and thirst for righteousness that feeds the rest of your life. That's really like the trunk, the system that, that feeds the rest. And the, the next three are like the fruit of the fruit tree. Notice they're the fruit of a blessed life. You have mercy, purity, and peace. Blessed are those who are merciful. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. Blessed in those uh, are the, blessed are the peacemakers. And so you have the fruit of a blessed life. And then the last beatitude, which is the most paradoxical of all, is blessed are those who are persecuted. No one likes that. <laughs> but God says that's who's blessed. And it's like the seed in the fruit that never falls to the ground until what happens? It's got to die. The fruit has to die. The fruit has to be eaten. And then after the destruction of the fruit, you have the seed. And that's persecution. And so I'm sharing all this to, to, to tell you that these beatitudes do more than just picture a blessed life. They give us a progression for how to cultivate one how to grow one, how to grow in maturity. If you want to grow into uh, someone who walks with God and who learns under Jesus and you, you want to learn from Him and grow in Him, it begins with the root system of humility, of being poor in spirit, of mourning, of being, uh, of being meek. So, since this is so essential to the, the Christian life, we want to look at each beatitude carefully. And so I'll start with the first one. We'll start at the beginning in, in chapter 5, verse 3. Jesus preaches, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He opens with the word blessed, makarios. It means happy. It, it speaks of someone who's highly esteemed, someone who's enviable. Have you ever had someone around you that you envied? You're like, man, they just got what I wish I had. You know, I've got some people in my life, they got trucks. I don't have a truck. You know, I envy them, you know. Who, who, who is enviable? That's someone who's blessed. That word makarios means happy and blessed and enviable and highly esteemed. But when Jesus pre is preaching this, immediately the people are like, you know, like those records that skip. It's like, blessed are the poor in spirit. I mean, what's so blessed about being poor? What's so blessed about being without so it's not speaking of financial poverty, which some people will say because they care for poor people and we should care for poor people, but that would be crossing out Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 and not noticing that he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. So he's not speaking of financial poverty, 
Because just being poor doesn't make you blessed. Uh, not everybody gets to heaven, and just because you don't have money doesn't mean you're righteous or you get to heaven. And so, blessed are the poor in spirit. So this is speaking of spiritual poverty. So to be poor means to be without, to be bankrupt. How many people have ever gone bankrupt? Just raise your hand. Just kidding, don't raise your hand. I was, you know, I just wish one time I'd say that and some kid would be like, oh yeah, that's our family, you know. But then we'd never see that again and we don't want that to happen. Anyway, it means to be bankrupt, to be destitute. It's another way of saying, hey, I am spiritually needy. Now, has anybody ever felt spiritually needy? You can raise your hand if you have. You have felt internally the strength and the power you didn't have, the righteousness you don't have, you have felt spiritually needy. That's being poor in spirit. And that's the first step to the blessed life, which God wants for you. God really does want you to have a blessed life, but He defines blessedness His way. He wants you to be blessed. And so the first step of being blessed is admitting that you are needy. The blessed life is a person who admits that they are spiritually needy. They are poor in spirit. And how fitting is it that it's Mother's Day, right? In our office, I went around, I knew I was preaching this sermon, and sometimes you preach like a Mother's Day sermon, like it's all about moms from beginning to end, all three points, mom, 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 right? And sometimes you don't, okay? This is the day that we didn't. And so you, you want to preach on the Beatitudes, but it's so fitting, that poor in spirit. And so I asked the ladies in our office, I went around, I really did, I, I went and asked them and I said, hey, has there ever been a role more suitable than motherhood that revealed your neediness? And the moms in our office were like, oh yes, oh yeah, oh man, neediness and having children, whoa, that exposed. And I was excited, I'm like, this is going to be great, it's going to be Mother's Day, but they're not going to hate me because I'm still bringing up moms, and I'm like going to preach this. And so I was excited, I went home, put the kids to bed, it's later at night, I asked Courtney, because I thought, you know, this is good, and I was like, hey Courtney, is there any role like motherhood? that exposes your neediness more. And without missing a beat, she was like, yeah, being a wife. That's what she said. That's what she said. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was really good. I'm glad you left like she did, not like I did. Anyway, she doesn't help me with my sermons anymore. Anyway, it, admitting that you are needy is risky. And I know this. You men in here, Man, aren't we the hardest bunch? We're the hardest ones. What's the last thing you ever want to do, ever? Admit you're needy. Now, now our spouses already know we're needy. Very aware of that. But you don't want to admit it. You don't need help. No, I don't need help. I'll just carry this 80-pound oblong thing by myself. No, no, I got it. I got it. We don't want to say we're needy, and yet we are. Maybe you don't want to admit that you're needy because it makes you feel like a burden. You know, when I think of the, the term neediness, when I think of someone needy, I'm tempted to think of, does anybody have that person where if they call you, you look at your caller ID and you wait a second before you answer, like, should I answer? Am I going to answer this? And do I really want to get into this conversation? They're needy, you know? So we could mistakenly take neediness, poverty, and we could think, bad, negative, uh-uh. And we could miss what Jesus is teaching. That's pride. We are needy. We are spiritually needy. 
Being poor in spirit is actually a blessing because when you are aware of your need, then and only then will you be able to receive what God has to give to you. And it's only then. What's beautiful about Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, the first beatitude, if you were to use it in layman's terms with kids, you could tell them, listen, when you're needy, when you finally become needy in your own heart and mind, then God becomes your provider. And that's the best there is. There's no better provider than Jesus, than God the Father. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They are going to receive from God the great reward because they're poor in spirit. And Jesus is saying, and don't miss this, we must accept our spiritual poverty before we can receive our spiritual reward. We must accept our spiritual poverty before we can receive our spiritual reward. You can read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. You will find this over and over. The proud person, the haughty person, the self-righteous person, guess what that person receives from the Lord? Zip, zero, zilch. Nothing. Because they're proud. They think they're already healthy. They think they see. Jesus told them over and over again, no, listen, If you were blind, then you would see. If you would recognize your own poverty and your blindness and your spiritual destitution, then I would provide for you, I'd heal you, I would help you. It's only once you accept your spiritual poverty that you receive your spiritual reward. There's a wonderful paragraph by a man, Thomas Watson. I won't have it on the screen, but just listen carefully. Thomas Watson wrote this, Till we are poor in spirit, we are not capable of receiving grace. He who is swollen with an opinion of self-excellency and self-sufficiency is not fit for Christ. He is full already. If the hand be full of pebbles, it cannot receive gold. The glass is first empty before you pour in wine. God first empties a man of himself before he pours in the precious wine of his grace. Until we are poor in spirit, Christ is never precious. So what does it look like to be poor in spirit? There's three characteristics of being poor in spirit. This isn't outlined on your outline. And some of you, I know God just uses you to sanctify me through patience. You don't take notes. You don't make disciples. You're not giving this on to someone else. I know that sounded harsh. And maybe that'll guilt you into taking notes. (laughs) But for those of you that are writing, I'm going to give you three characteristics of what it means to be poor in spirit. Because you're not going to remember this sermon in one hour if you don't write it down and internalize it. So here's three characteristics of being poor in spirit. Admitting your spiritual need is believing, number one, I am not righteous. I am not righteous. That is the beginning of being poor in spirit. My favorite story, and I know I repeat it all the time, I've probably preached this particular story that Jesus gave a dozen times since I've been at Grace. I've only been here four years. I bet three times a year I mention it. But listen, every preacher, even the good preachers have this. They all have their favorite passages. They all have their thing. Uh, There's two people I relate to most in the entire Bible. It's the thief on the cross, and it's this guy. And it's in Luke chapter 18. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Now listen, being righteous is the opposite. Thinking you're righteous is the opposite of being poor in spirit. You have to know that. So Jesus gives them this parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray, 
one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Now notice the Pharisee is not poor in spirit, but full of self. That's the opposite, by the way, of poor in spirit. It's full of self. But the tax collector, this is the one I can relate to, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, there's a lot we can use that story for. But I want you to notice how the tax collector was poor in spirit in the way that he acted. And being poor in spirit fights off two things. Being poor in spirit fights off the lie of self-righteousness and the practice of self-justification. Being poor in spirit fights off the lie that you are really righteous and the practice of self-justification. Hey, I'm good. Being defensive, thinking you're better than you are. So, the person who is poor, who is poor in spirit believes, I am not righteous. Secondly, the person who's poor in spirit believes, I cannot save myself. And this is reflected really well in Ephesians chapter 2, a familiar passage to us. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You did not save yourself. Your salvation was a gift of God. And God made it that way so no one in this room would say, well, I kind of deserved it. I kind of earned it. Even the kind of just wrench, it just stinks of righteous self-righteousness. It's trying to get the glory that belongs to Jesus alone. You would not even put faith in Jesus of, if God did not work in heaven miracles for the message, the good news to come to you. You would have never run after God if you had not had your eyes open to the cross. Jesus hanging there, suffering and dying for you. Your sins held him on that cross. Salvation belongs to the Lord and the Lord alone. Someone who's poor in spirit, without hesitation, without doubt, without excuses, knows, I cannot save myself. The Lord saved me. Jesus came. God the Father sent him. It pleased him to crush the Son. God went through all the hard work so that I could be saved. It is by grace through faith that you are saved. Not of your own doing, not of your works, it's not of yourself. It was a gift of God so that you would not boast in you, but you would boast in Christ. Jesus is the reason that I live today. He is the reason why I'm saved. I cannot save myself. And thirdly, the spiritually needy, those who are poor in spirit, truly believe I cannot be victorious without Christ. I cannot live the Christian life without Him. I can't even walk with Him. I can't battle temptation. I can't do good works. I, I cannot do anything without Him. 
John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus was teaching his disciples. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, that doesn't mean apart from me, you can't get saved, and that's it. But once you get saved, you can do things apart from Jesus. I think that's how some people accidentally live. They forget their need of the good news of reminders of God's love for us. We can do nothing without Him if we're not connected to Him, if we're not submitted to Him, if we're not getting life from Him, if if we're grieving the Holy Spirit or quenching the Spirit, if we're walking in the flesh, if we're not walking with Him, guess what we're going to do? We're only going to feed the desires of the flesh. We can do nothing without Him. And so the poor in spirit knows that and admits and truly believes, I cannot live a victorious life without Christ. You want to know what God considers a blessed life? The one who bows, beats their chest. I need you. I am a sinner, and I need you. I need your power. I need your grace. I need your help. It's a good thing your mercies are new each morning because I need them each morning. I need you every hour. So the poor in spirit, we know we're poor in spirit when we admit that we are spiritually needy. And secondly, to be poor in spirit means that you believe that spiritual blessings outweigh earthly treasures. Spiritually, spiritual blessings outweigh earthly treasures. He uses that word for poverty on purpose. It's this idea of I don't have, but I want, I need You know, some people are poor and they don't know it. And so, do they really need something? But those who are truly poor, whether they know it or not, it's when they know it that they finally, like we said, start hungering and thirsting for for righteousness. It's, It's then that they realize, wow, I need spiritual blessings. I don't need stuff. I need the Spirit. I need God. I think Proverbs 16, verse 19, shares this pretty well. It says, It is better to be of a lowly spirit That means humility, but you could think of that as poor in spirit. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. It's better to not have earthly treasures, but be poor in spirit, than to have spoils, treasures. You could have so many riches, but if you're not poor in spirit, woe to you. Take it as a warning. It's better to be poor in spirit and not have stuff to be, than to be blind to your spiritual condition and have material prosperity. Spiritual blessings are worth more than earthly treasures because earthly treasures are temporary and deceptive, aren't they? They're so temporary. I know some of you got your stimmy checks this year, your Biden allowance. I mean, we might as well joke about it. I know that no one wants to even talk about that right now. I know, our economy, I don't want to bring that, but, you know, earthly treasures are fleeting, aren't they? They're not going to be here forever. This isn't where our hope is. This isn't what we truly hunger for. I like Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9. Keep falsehood and deceitful words far from me. Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you, saying, Huh, who is the Lord? 
Or I might have nothing and steal and profane the name of my God. When you have too much, you deny God. When you have too little, you disgrace Him. That's the temptation with earthly treasures. Now, it doesn't mean you have to fall into these categories, but it's a double-edged sword, and that's why spiritual blessings are worth so much more than earthly treasures. Earthly treasures have expiration dates and warning labels, but spiritual blessings are free of permanent damage or regret. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want to invite the band, we call them a band, they're eventually going to be here, the band up to the stage. I'm getting done a little early. Uh, I know you're really sad about that. I know you guys hate short sermons that are clear and concise and you get to get out early. So next week, I promise, it's going to be longer. Uh, But as the band, I'm, I'm just kidding, Kyle's preaching next week, actually. I love Kyle. I have to say this, Kyle is my favorite pastor. He is my favorite pastor, and he is like a pastor to me. Uh, He leads me in more ways than just in music. His character, his integrity, what he does behind the scenes, what he does with people, what he does with his encouraging texts. I mean, he's already a phenomenal worship leader. I mean, he's just phenomenal. He's, He's really well above average. But even in the office, uh, just as a friend, I'm so grateful to have a, a brother and a pastor like him. And he is my pastor here. And I know he's some of yours, and I thank God for that. But I, I want to pray before we go into song. Uh, we're going to be singing, Lord, I Need You. This is a time for us to really focus our hearts and pray to the Lord and admit to Him our spiritual need. But I don't, I don't want another Sunday morning to go by without giving an invitation. There has got to be someone in this room that you know you're not a Christian. You know you've never given your life to Christ and said, Father, please forgive me my sin, where you don't just believe Jesus exists. Even the demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that He died on the cross and He rose on the third day. They believe that but they don't love him and they don't follow him. And that's some of you. And if you're listening to me right now or you're online and you know you have not given your heart to Jesus, today is the day of salvation. You can be saved today. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you know that you're a sinner and you are spiritually poor, there is a great provider who will provide for you and yours could be the kingdom of heaven. So I want to pray. I want you to pray along with me. The rest of you saints, be praying for those that may be hearing this and it may be the first time they're giving their life to Christ. Let's let's pray together. Father, you are such a wonderful provider. It is a blessing to be poor in spirit. Because then and only then do you become the one that gives to us. And we need you. We need all of you. We need everything you have to give us. You are a good father and you know. You know where we're lacking. And so we pray, would you provide for us now? We could not save ourselves. We were not righteous. No one sought you. You sought us. We love you because you first loved us. We couldn't save ourselves. And we cannot live a victorious life without you. 
We cannot even believe the Beatitudes are true without your Holy Spirit transforming us, renewing our minds. And so we lay ourselves at your feet. And for those that you know that you're not a believer yet, but you want to be one, you can be one right now. Would you pray to Jesus? He can hear the thoughts of your heart. You tell him, Father, please forgive me. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of breaking your law, of not doing what's right, for doing what's wrong. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and that his death covered my sin. If you pray that and you believe that, Jesus promises you will be made new. He will make you a new creation and he will pour his spirit into you and your soul will come alive and you will know that God is good. If you prayed that, you are now a believer and I I just pray for you that God would bless you with a church family, that he would bless you with Christian community and that you you would know him and walk with him the rest of your days. Father, we love you. We thank you for our moms, especially those godly mothers. What a blessing. We love you because you first loved us. Would you hear our song to you now? Oh, Lord, we need you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.